right. If you have your Bibles, let's open them up to uh, Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, we've been making our way through Hebrews. Today we're going to make, uh, we're going to travel through a lot of verses, and but you'll understand why here in a second. Uh, and then I think uh, we're going to come to a stopping point for the next couple weeks after this, and then we'll pick up uh, back in our journey through Hebrews uh, after Easter uh, with with chapter 8. And so, uh, but, but as we talk about that, we've spent the past two weeks uh, in Hebrews looking at a great warning that the writer prays uh, we would avoid in our lives. Uh, he kind of comes in, namely, that the warning is that we would not settle uh, for a life with God that doesn't move uh, from the elementary milk of the gospel to um, uh, the solid food of a strong uh, faith. That, that we should be concerned for each other if we are or, or if we are walking alongside someone really who's unwilling to grow spiritually. That, that we have um, a challenge from the Word to say, hey, we need to step into that. Uh, quite a bit, and so so we are to pursue holiness. We are to strive for a faith that grows deeper in God to uh, uh, our great satisfaction, uh, and then secondly for the benefit of others. and And last week we were shown uh, an enormous gift as the writer comes in and he helps us understand just how deep God's love is for us and and how He brings us the promise of a blessing uh, sealed with his oath. We, we got to see that through uh, Hebrews chapter 6, that, that God gives us a promise and then he seals that promise with an oath because there is no one greater. He does it by his name because there's no one greater on which to swear by. And, and his desire, uh, as we've been traveling, is that, that we would have a strong encouragement to hold on to our hope in him and that we would not, as we've been talking for weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, almost as far back as chapter 2, that we would not drift in false hopes that are offered by uh, this world. And I think the helpful perspective in this comes not from me telling you uh, that, that God wants you to have hope in Him. Uh, really, that the power of this is when the Holy Spirit brings that to light in your own, in your own self. Uh, that you would not just take my word that God loves you, but that you would experience that love. And that would have a very dramatic and a changing effect on the rest of your life. And, and so as you uh, flee to God for refuge, as we ended last week, uh, you would be able to join with the saints to taste uh, and to see that He is good. And, and so this morning we get to see the Father and the Son at work to make this great hope come to life in our hearts. And, and my prayer uh, for us is that we would be willing just to take that next step deeper and deeper and deeper uh, in our relationship with Him. And so, so as we get ready for that, let us pray. Uh, Father, we come to You and we thank You for Your Word this morning. We pray through the power of Your Holy Spirit that He would speak to us uh, in resounding ways. That He would give us a laser-locked focus as we travel through these verses, and that we would be able to see your Son so much more clearly. We love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right, let me give you uh, just a little bit of context in case you've been out or in case you uh, are new to this story. Uh, the, the flow of Hebrews so far has, has simply been this. Hey, look at Jesus, 
and then keep looking at Jesus. Hey, do you see how great Jesus is? Hey, do you see how much greater Jesus is than all the other places we are tempted to put our hope in? That that he has a greater name, that he is greater than the angels, he is greater than Moses. And then these last couple weeks, the writers developed this um, this argument of saying, hey, he is greater than the high priest. Now, to us, that might not mean uh, too terribly much. Uh, but to the Hebrews, this would have meant uh, a great deal because the high priest was their authority underneath God. Uh, and so he comes in and he's been building this argument that Jesus isn't just a high priest, that he is the great, the great high priest, the only High priest that was given that title specifically being great. And, and we've been looking at the role, uh, and, and, and the key has been a verse that, that we saw a few weeks ago, uh, in that Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, right? And I told you that we would get, uh, we just kind of put a pin in Melchizedek's story because I said in chapter 7 we're going to see that come to play. And, and really what we get to see now is possibly, um, as we talk about Jesus being the high priest, uh, we get to see uh, this described in its fullest treatment uh, this morning. And so what we're going to do here, uh, I hope you're all comfortable because we're going to read 28 verses uh, in a row. All right? Now we might need a nap or we might need a snack afterwards, uh, but, but we'll figure it out. Okay? So here, here we go, Emma. You ready? All right. For this Melchizedek, okay, the king of Solomon, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. This is where, a uh, little Bible nerd here, uh, this is where we get the tithe. Ten percent is from this exchange. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem. That is the king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Verse 4. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have a, a, a descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in, uh, in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Bethany, you'll have to explain the loins to Lane. Um, he's looking at me like, what does that mean? All right, verse 11, okay? Now, if perfection had been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe. 
for which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Now we're going to come back to that line here uh, after Easter. That Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he, being Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Verse 25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made uh, perfect forever. Okay? We made it, and they ask you, what did you do yesterday at church? You say, we read an entire chapter of the Bible. All right? Congratulations. We did it together. Um, Okay, so so typically what we try to do is we kind of come back and we go verse by verse kind of through this. And and I struggled uh, a lot this week that this would not end up being like a Bible survey class uh, where we end up spending a lot of time talking about Melchizedek and, and Abraham and the tithe and then we get to the end of our time and we want to th- like cram in as much Jesus as we could uh, before you walked out the door, okay? Uh, and so, so I, d- I don't really want that to happen because when we talk about Jesus, we have to understand the reason why Melchizedek is even mentioned in the Bible is because of Jesus, uh, the reason why anything is really mentioned in the Bible is because of, of Jesus. And so uh, what, what I want to do, instead of us dealing with 28 chapters, uh, I'd like for us to settle for one. Okay? And if you think we're getting out of here any earlier, you're sadly mistaken. All right? So, so here's what I want to do. I, I, want us to get, um, I, want, I want us to get a big picture, and I want us to get a main point, and then we're going to kind of work from there. Uh, the big picture is this. Uh, Jesus Christ is superior over the Old Testament priests of the tribe of Levi. Okay? That's, that's the big picture of what we're learning in Hebrews chapter 7. 
that Jesus Christ is superior over the Old Testament priests of the tribe of Levi. And then let's just pick a verse at random. Uh, verse 25. Okay? Uh, and, and here's what we see. I, w- I want you to pay attention. The first word of, of verse 25 uh, for us is consequently. Okay? So, so this means that this is a great conclusion from all that is the preceding truth that we've read about Christ's priesthood. So verse 25 is a conclusion of it all. And this is what we say. That the main point of chapter 7 is simply this. That Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Since He is always making, He, he always lives to make intercession for us. Okay, and we're, we're going to kind of walk through that verse. Because that verse gives us three powerful uh, practices, or really actions of Jesus. And so, so though verses 1 through 24 may be uh, complex and difficult to understand without a good deal of mental effort, verse 25 is just wonderfully plain. Very clear. And then it has three parts. And here, here's the three parts. That number one, Christ is able to save Forever. Okay, that, that's 25A. That's the very first part of it. Okay, then we're going to jump to 25C, the, the last uh, third of it. That he always lives to make intercession for us. And then that takes us back to the middle of verse 25. That the in- eternal intercession and the eternal salvation are for those who draw near to God through Christ. That's, that's the message of the gospel. That we are made right with God through Jesus. And so, so, so think about the relationship between those first two with me. Uh, that, that Christ is able to save forever, and that Christ always lives to make intercession for us. And so, so the question is, what's that connection? Right? And so it's made explicit in the verse, and it's extremely important. It says that He is able to save us forever since or, or because... He always lives to make intercession for us. So in other words, our future eternal salvation hangs on Christ's future eternal intercession for us. And so, so this implies two huge things. Because first what it does is it answers the question, what do we need to be saved from? What do we need to be saved from? And we need to be clear about this, especially uh, when we talk to uh, people who are not yet believers or, or unbelievers, because for them, the, the very term salvation or, or being saved uh, may not carry the same meaning uh, that the Bible gives for these terms. And so, so we need to be clear about what the Bible means by that. What are we being saved from according to, to this verse? And, and the connection between eternal salvation and eternal intercession gives at least one solid answer. Uh, and, and I think it's the most basic and it's the most important answer. Uh, it is to be saved forever. So, so to enter into eternal rest, we need Christ to intercede for us forever with God. So, so the implication is that we need to be saved from God. Okay, now before you're like, what kind of a church is this? Bear with me, okay? We're, we're going to flesh this out just a little bit so everybody can breathe easy. We need to be saved. I'm talking specifically about our need to be saved from the wrath of God that burns against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness, as Romans 1.18 tells us. 
that, that Christ can save us forever from the wrath of God because he intercedes forever with God. John Piper put it this way. Jesus continually puts himself between the Father and us as an asbestos uh, shield. Anybody um, go skating at Stardust as a kid? Right? We know. We know asbestos. That's why some of us have turned out the way we have. Okay? So, so Jesus continually puts himself between the Father and us as an asbestos shield against his white-hot anger against sin. Hebrews 10, 30-31 says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. That, that it is a fearful thing. Understand this. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay? It is a fearful thing. And until we get this firmly and clearly fixed in our minds, hardly anything in this book of Hebrews will make any sense. It will. It won't. And so, so the major problem in our world and in our lives is not our troubled marriages or our wayward kids or, or, or our financial pressures or our failing health or a devolving society. The, the main problem in the world, everyone's problem, is how to be reconciled to God so that we escape His terrifying wrath at the judgment. That's the number one problem you have in this world. And the lie of the enemy says, no, 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 there's other things you need to be more concerned about. And so, so, so that's the main problem. And the biblical answer to this main problem, it's going to sound weird saying it this way, is priesthood. It's priesthood. That, that, that specifically the superior priesthood of Jesus. That, that the reason there are priests in the Old Testament is that the priests are needed to intercede for us with God. And so, so they enter the most holy they enter the holy place where we're not allowed to go and they take sacrifices for us so that our sins will be forgiven. And and so so all of that Old Testament priestly system was meant to teach us about our sin and the holiness and the wrath of God and the inescapable judgment that's coming upon us. And as weird as this sounds, this is all great news. This is all great news. And the point of it all was this, that God has made a way to get right with God. That, that, that He provided priests in the Old Testament, and then He provided His Son as, as the final high priest. And so, so the reason for all this talk about Christ's relationship, uh, a relation to Melchizedek in verses 1 through, through 24 is because the eternal superior priesthood of Jesus is our only hope for eternal salvation. Our only hope. God's wrath never changes. And it shouldn't. Because for Him to cower down to any lower standard other than what He has established makes Him no longer God. And so it burns that there is only one hope for sinners like us, that, that we must have a faithful high priest who will intercede for us forever. We, we need a king of righteousness, as verse 2 says. We need a king of peace, that verse 2 says. We need someone without beginning and ending, like verse 3. Someone who has an indestructible life, as verse 16 tells us. We, who will never die and will never need to be replaced as verses 23 and 24 tell us, we need someone greater than Abraham and greater than Levi, something like Melchizedek who blessed Abraham 
in verses 6 and 7. Uh, and, and one who received tithes from Abraham, and in a sense from Levi in Abraham, verses 5, 6, 8 through 10. What we need is a new and a greater priest. So much greater that verse 11 says there is no perfection through the Levitical priesthood, through the line of Levi. That all the Old Testament priesthood could do was point to one day when a superior priest would arrive. The law was just a placeholder. And, and so... All they could do was point to a priest whose sacrifice of himself and whose eternal intercession would guarantee eternal salvation for God's people. It's great news. So, the first implication of verse 25 is that all this truth about priesthood is because what we need saving from is the wrath of God. God's way of solving the problem is priesthood. And this is not our problem to figure out and solve. It doesn't work like that. That, that God has to do it for us. He, he has done it for us. He ordains a priest, his son. And so, so don't make a mistake here, though. Because this is, this is the, it, the mistake that I made growing up uh, from the time I was roughly uh, a sophomore in high school until I was about 25 years old. Okay? I always thought that, that really what this meant was that that Jesus loved me, this I know because the Bible told me so, and what he's doing is he's holding back the Father. That God somehow hates me, but Jesus loves me, but, and because God kind of likes Jesus, he's like, ah, you can come on in. That's not the case here. Okay, we need to understand that, that God is love, that the Father is love. And so everything that we find in Jesus has been sent and, and, and created and motivated by the Father. That's why when Jesus is in the garden, he prays, says, not my will, but your will be done. But Jesus, when he's teaching us to pray, he starts off, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Because everything is motivated from the heart of the Father. It's his idea. He sends the priest. It's his own son whom he sends, and he loves them infinitely. And all this is the love of God rescuing us from the wrath of God in such a way that the justice of God is vindicated and the glory of God is exalted. That's what we get in Jesus. Now, the second great implication of verse 25 is that our future salvation depends on the active work of Christ forever and ever. Not, not just the past work of Christ or on our past decision and, and commitments. It says that, that Christ is able to save forever since He always lives to make intercession for us. So in other words, he, he would not be able to save us forever if He did not go interceding for us. This means that, that salvation is as secure as Christ's priesthood is indestructible. It gives us such great hope that this is why we, we needed a, praise so much, a priest so much greater than any human, that Christ's deity secures his indestructible priesthood for us. And so, so this means that we should not talk about salvation in static terms like we are tempted to do. As if I, I, I did something once uh, in an act or a decision, and that Christ did something once when he died and rose again. That, and that's all there is to it, because that's 
That's not all there is to it. In fact, that this very day, if you are in Christ, you are being saved by the eternal intercession of Jesus in heaven. That He is your mediator, your go-between. And that's happening right now, in this moment. It's happening every moment as you breathe until you don't anymore. So, so, so we are saved eternally by eternal prayers. That, and then we're saved by the advocacy of Jesus in heaven as our high priest. He prays for us and his prayers are answered because he prays perfectly on the basis of his perfect sacrifice. So, so what might he be praying pretty bold question to be asking, right? So what is, what is Jesus, in the context of Hebrews 7, what is He praying for us? Well, it says that He is able to save because He intercedes, that is, because He, he prays, and, and it says that, that He's doing this forever, and so what do we need forever in order to be saved? And we don't have to go very far because we find the answer to that in verse 25, right there in the middle is that we need to draw near to God through Him. So He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him. And this verb, draw near to God, it, it's, in a, it's in a tense that, that indicates present and continuous action, not just a single... Um, I'm sorry, I forgot how to read here... Um, but not just a single action in the past. It, it's not saying that God is able to save those who one day went to a fifth quarter and prayed a prayer at the end of it and then walked the rest of their lives far from Him. It says that, that those who are walking with Him, who draw near to Him, if we don't go on drawing near to God, we have no warrant for thinking that we are being saved by the Lord uh, Jesus. So, so, but if this is true, then, then is not the drawing near one of the things that Jesus intercedes on our behalf with the Father? That we'll find other verses about being able to, to approach the throne room of grace with confidence. Remember that from a couple weeks ago? We get to walk into the presence of God Almighty because Jesus lets us in the room. And so, There are many reasons for thinking uh, Jesus doesn't just leave us out the door. In fact, uh, one, of, one of that is, is, is Hebrews chapter 13. It's going to tell us that God is working in us what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus. So, so one of the things pleasing in His sight is that His people keep on drawing near to Him forever and ever and ever and ever. And so, so He is working in us this very thing. And verse 21 uh, of Hebrews 13 tells us that he's doing this through Jesus, which means at least that Christ has purchased this grace for us by his death. And that Christ prays and asks the Father for it on the basis of that death. And so, so when the writer tells us that drawing near to God is what qualifies us for eternal saving work, in the eternal saving work of our High priest Jesus, he doesn't mean to say that our high priest leaves us alone in our bent and sinful nature, but that he, he helps us draw near to God. 
He intercedes for us and He asks the Father to give us access to walk in confidence with great hope. With great hope. We, we see this played out uh, practically for us in, in Luke chapter 22. You don't have to go there. I'm just going to kind of read it to you. Uh, Jesus is, is looking at Peter and He says this. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have returned again, strengthen your brother. So, so already Jesus was interceding for his own when he was on earth. That, and, and what he was praying was for our faith, that our faith would not fail. And he does that then, and he does that now. And he's so confident in his prayer for Peter that he says, says, when once you have turned again. Not, not if you turn again. And so even though Peter stumbles in denial, his faith did not fail utterly. And that's what the Lord prays for us. That's what the writer of Hebrews has been begging for us to pay attention to. That our faith would be strong. That we would understand not how capable you are, but how brilliant and beautiful Christ is. That we would lean not on our own abilities and our own uh, inclinations and our own um, desires to be better or to be gooder, right? That, that we would step into who Christ is and that as He intercedes for us, we would walk in to the presence of God with confidence. Not because of how great we are, but because of how Holy He is. Let me start wrapping this up. This is where we get. Let's go back. Verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Okay? And then He's going to give us some descriptions of Jesus. Of the necessity of who we needed Jesus to be. Holy innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. And remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that the priests would have to offer sacrifices on their own, and then secondly, for him, uh, for the sins of the people. Verse 28, for the law appoints men and their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who's been made perfect forever. And there, there are many incredible things we can celebrate uh, through these verses, but I, but I think it really just leads us to two great places on the same road. That, that number one, we can't read these verses without ignoring how the Father bids us to come. But he says, draw near. This is, this is great. This, is, this great, this holy God of righteousness and wrath says, draw near to me through my Son. Draw near to me. I will not cast you out. Th think about that. That God loves you and He invites you into a deeper relationship with Him in this moment. And secondly, we get to see the beauty of 
and the strength of Jesus to be for us what we could never be on our own. We, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted in the heavens, interceding, praying for us. He is everything we ever needed, and some of us don't even know that. Some of our, some of us pray. Some of us pray like we've forgotten that. Some of us pray like we are taking that for granted. Some of us walk into the throne room and like spoiled children tell God how often He's got it wrong. And we forget that we have this great high priest who is forever interceding, who is forever working in us, And the intention isn't that our lives would be uncomplicated or or just easy breezy. The intention is that our lives would say something about the glory of God. That 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 the testimony of our lives would say something much larger than ourselves. Much larger than the jobs we have or the neighborhoods we live in or or the accomplishments that we can achieve. But our lives say something about King Jesus. Our desire this week is to love God by... Please stand with me. So we wrap up. Let me make a couple things available. If you need prayer this morning, we long to pray with you. We long to pray with you. There is power in prayer. If you don't know of Jesus as your uh, great high priest, if you don't know of Him as your Savior and your Lord, we, we implore you today to give your life to Him. Maybe you say, I'm not there, but i got some questions. We love answering questions. And we're, we're big enough to say, I don't know sometimes. Let's figure this out together. If you want to stop at some point today and remember the price that Jesus pays through communion. We have some elements back there. I love you guys. I love walking through the Word with you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we are thankful today for your great love. We are thankful today that you care for us in perfect ways. I thank you that you give us what we need And how often you tell us that what we need the most is Jesus. So Father, in this room, I pray that you would soften our hearts. I pray you would embolden our spirits. And that we would be able to celebrate all that you've made available to us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.